This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. How's it South Africa? Welcome to another edition of Farmers Inside Track. My name is Ivor Price and joining me virtually from his lockdown position is Quibus Lawrence. And if we haven't met before, Quibus and I are the founders of Food for Mzansi, which in the last month alone reached close to a million people. That equates to at least a million opportunities to salute the unsung heroes of agriculture. Hey Ivor, what a roller coaster ride this lockdown has turned out to be. But the one positive is that it has connected us to so many of the movers and shakers that we admire. One of them is Riku Basson, the managing director of VinPro, an organization carrying the flag of more than 2,500 local wine producers, sellers and other industry stakeholders. Of course, it hasn't been an easy five weeks for the wine industry. And it also hasn't been an easy five weeks for us as a nation, Quibus. At this very moment, we are 34 days into the lockdown, which has now been indefinitely postponed. Alcohol sales have, of course, also been forbidden. And like many others, I'm hoping that Rico might have some good news to share in today's edition of Farmers Inside Track. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. Thanks for joining us virtually for this podcast episode, Rico. We are in week five of the coronavirus lockdown. And for some, it's been a breeze. For others, it's been pretty hectic. Dare I even ask how the lockdown has been treating you? Thank you for the opportunity. No, it's been a roller coaster ride. I often say our real work started when the lockdown was announced on the 23rd of March. Because at that very same stage, we realized that uh, the wine industry is not classified as essential and therefore cannot complete the harvest or have any commerce. On a personal level, it's been a daunting ride, a challenging ride, and uh, I think we had to balance work and private life. Rico, I know this is our new reality that we need to get used to, but it's still quite a mind-blowing thought that a faceless virus can literally bring the world to a standstill. So much so for the wine industry as well. If I asked you to measure it, to quantify it, what has been the impact of COVID-19 on the South African wine industry to date? I think the first thing on an emotional level is the uncertainty. Everybody, whilst they can somehow deal with the limitations, they want a certainty from government and from and the trade demand certainty. So financially, it has been a severe dent. If you look at numbers, the fact that we cannot sell wine locally or export, that means about 500 million rand per week. And we are now in week five, so you can add up the numbers. So 2 billion rand of trade was lost, which uh, we don't think we'll make up if we return. But I also think for an export country, there's a reputational damage and a reputational risk on both sides. Firstly, we uh, were allowed for nine days to export before that was halted due to COVID. 
And your international customers and importers doesn't always understand your country and that in a very competitive market. So we are really risking uh, losing shelf space and it's shelf space that we've worked for very hard over 30 years because all our competing countries like New Zealand, Australia has been in the market. Their governments has allowed them to export. So direct losses and then indirect losses most certainly. So we're talking business damage, we're talking reputational damage. What about emotional damage? I can imagine that's pretty hectic at the moment as well, Rico. It is, but I think it is a symptom of the uncertainty of a pandemic. You see that in the general public as well, how emotions and moods can swing from one side to the other within a week. I must say on production level, the fact that we could complete the harvest and make the wine, I think that was a very big priority. And I'm glad to say that we, at least we can say that the 2020 harvest is of good quality and safely in the tanks. But uh, no business, and I think that's the challenge, no business can go without any form of income or any form of cash flow for too long, never mind the wine industry, who does not always have the margins. Then the whole value chain, we often say, as a country, we sell a million bottles of wine every day of the year. That is a lot of bottles. But people don't often realize the same value chain, if you go back to the farms, and these farms are, yes, in the Western Cape, but they're up in the Northern Cape and the Free State and AZN, and the workers and their families, and then your, your input suppliers, your labels and your corks. So once you have a challenge on the trade side, it has got a ripple effect all the way through. And this business and emotional uncertainty goes back. And I do think we've weathered a climate challenge the last two years, this time we'll have to weather a financial drought or a financial challenge in the coming months. You mentioned um, Australia and some of our other competitors. Of course, the industry globally, I think, is having a bit of a brutal time. Have you been in touch with wine friends in other parts of the world? Are they facing similar dilemmas? I must say yes. In actual fact, I made contact with both my colleagues in New Zealand and Australia. Firstly, you phone them to somehow make yourself feel better because as a leader, you are trying to seek an avenue when it's very dark. And I must say, although they had some different challenges, the Australians just comes out of that severe summer fire season and they've got challenges on trade. So Look, I think it's difficult for everybody. I, I think shipping lines are disrupted. I think uh, ports and harbors are disrupted. I read this morning that a lot of wine is obviously sold in the in Europe, and they estimate that the closure of restaurants and outlets would mean 35% less volume and 50% less value. And then with that, the big markets like the US and Germany and the UK are all very much impacted by the virus still. So it is challenging and uncertainty, but uh, we're in this together. Many South Africans are quite concerned that alcohol sales are still forbidden and will be for more than a little while longer, it seems, Rico. Yeah, it's difficult to comment. We hope that we will get an announcement tomorrow who speaks to, to both. We think that exports will uh, reopen, which would include the packaging, labeling of finished product. And they've made, when we've made certain submissions, which we think for the local market, that will be a low risk avenue. Things like internet sales, uh, delivery with food under strict protocol. 
I'm glad that we've built strong networks over the last few years and uh, in, in alliance partners like Dr. John Purchase from Agbus and Omri Fancel from AgriSA. Because to resolve this engagement with government, we, we are dealing with a number of departments. And in our life, it ranges from tourism via transport, agriculture, Department of Trade and Industry and Health. But it's been challenging and, and I, I think somehow frustrating because in the last month, we did not get the kind of response or feedback that uh, we think were fair in terms of the submissions. In actual fact, we in, in a lot of cases did not get any feedback or consultation. And we found that regulations were issued and retracted without any prior consultation, which makes it's very difficult to keep industry informed and to stop start. So that's not criticism. I do think our government has got a very difficult task at hand. In these times, I've learned that communication and consultation is, is very important. And the role of understanding the complexities is so important. Riku, are you insinuating that perhaps tomorrow we'll get good news in terms of being able to buy wine at least over the internet. Is that what you're saying? That's what we think is a good start to look at the local market. If you think about our wineries, we've got close to 600 wineries. Um, more than 50% of them has got uh, restaurants who are closed at the moment. And we do think that a proposal could include that as well as deliveries, as well as some segments of the licensed supermarket chain. But I, uh, for now, cannot put my neck on the block. I think this is part of the detailed deliberations. And we, as an industry, that's what we, we positioned as part of a phased approach. You're mentioning the wineries, so let's zoom into a bit of a more local level. What are you hearing from the local wineries? Are they scared that they might not survive post-COVID-19? And also, um, we can't begin to imagine what impact this is having on farm workers. One tends to think that this kind of cash flow pressure only is a challenge for the smaller wineries, but that's not true. My experience is that it's actually, at the moment, some of the bigger companies with brands that are starting to struggle with cash flow and revenue because the economic crisis is meaning that all the payment terms are stretching where it was 60 days, suddenly people are paying 30 days or they're not paying at all. And then the challenge for the smaller wineries is, once again, they cannot afford often to bottle the whole harvest at one time. They tend to bottle three, four, five times a year. I think the frustration when we had the nine days of exports, that it only meant that you could export finished goods. And a lot of them obviously didn't have finished goods available, so they, they didn't benefit. So the three income streams for a winery would be exports or the local market or hospitality and tourism. And at the moment, they've got nothing of that. So I'm severely concerned, if I'm frank with you, my Australian colleague estimate that they might lose 25 to 30 percent of the two and a half thousand wineries. I think we might lose 60 to 80 of our nearly 600 wineries if the cash flow and the trade doesn't improve. And that's severe. People often come to us and say, talk too much economics. 
Well, I think the industry is about people and people that we care about. And on farm level, we employ 40,000 people and 90% of them are permanent labor. And if you think about four dependents, that is 150,000 people in the rural areas. And and my biggest worry would be that we're going to see severe job losses that goes with business challenges and liquidations. And that in a time where South Africa urgently needs jobs. And therefore, once again, not criticism, but we struggle to understand why the exports of wine wasn't allowed from day one, because that is a low risk in volume as well as social distancing activity. And it's a high value container. But yeah, I think people are worried. That's very depressing, I must say. But looking ahead, do you think that COVID-19 perhaps also holds some opportunities for the wine industry? And we've talked about the fast tracking of online wine sales. Many South Africans, as an example, have been holding back from buying digitally. Either people often say you shouldn't waste a good crisis. Somehow, I think South Africans inherently, and I think agricultural people, has got this ability or tenacity to go through the emotions of the immediate shock and then jump into actions. So yes, most certainly. The positive part is that we will fundamentally change the way we operate, fundamentally change the way we trade. And I do think that e-trade, and I can already see this happening with South Africa, innovative way people do wine tastings, uh, innovative way people um, look at selling wine on, on contract and pre-sale, etc. Obviously, there are, I suppose, always first movers and, and then people that are not there yet. But it's fantastic how the crisis make people jump into innovative ways. I must say, I know Quibus is ready with questions about the mindset of the consumer, but both of us, um, and Quibus and his, his wife as well, attended a virtual wine tasting. It was my first, um, Balea Wines, and I found it quite fascinating. I was literally gripped to the end um, with a glass of my own in, in my hand. Yeah, we've definitely seen some innovation. I was wondering, we've been locked down for, for like a month now. It tends to be a bit of an introspective time, and I think people also sort of take stock of what's happening in their lives, and also it's, of course, long enough to learn some new habits. Do you think there's been a significant mindset shift um, of your consumers? Are there maybe new demands coming and expectations from consumers post-COVID-19? It's a good question. Um, I will try my interpretation because in our own business, We've learned that we can work remote and that an office building, for example, we should think different about that. And, and, and same with the consumer. I think the consumer, after 30 days, has done introspection. I think uh, people appreciate some of the simple things in life, simpler things in life. I think there will be a trend of home entertainment, home consumption, with the fact that restaurants are still closed. But there's also a affordability answer to that quiz. I think people, um, especially people that couldn't work, they just don't have the funds to spend, I suppose, on, on things like wine and food is a necessity. I think there will be questions and I think more pressure. Most certainly the authenticity of production, not only of wine, of products will be challenged. I think the ability to track products to back to resource and the safety part and the health part. I think those are trends which we've been speaking about for five, six years now. The easiness of e-trade, the convenience of that. Um, so, so yeah, I think there are new business opportunities. 
I hope that South Africans will uh, still enjoy uh, good quality wines <laughs> as well with that because we've got fantastic things to offer. And I do think once we can uh, commute again, the tourism uh, opportunity is fantastic and phenomenal. Well, at least this new consumer can look forward to an exceptional 2020 vintage. You touched on it earlier. This is despite the challenges posed by the pandemic. And I see that Vinpro is predicting that the 2020 harvest will be even bigger than last year. Have I got that right? Yeah, you're right. Uh, you should just remember that the, the two previous years, we were still in the drought phase. So yes, it's bigger. It's about 5% bigger than the previous year. It's not yet back to what we would say a normal year, which is 2017, but no, good quality. And I think either the important part is that a lot of the drought-stricken areas uh, did manage to recover to some extent, except the Tlankaroo, who's still in the grips of drought. But yeah, I think all over, good, good quality crop. I often ask my viticulturists and the winemakers, so will it be a good uh, red wine year or a good white wine year? And thus far, they are not telling me. They are just saying it's good. So uh, we'll uh, have to uh, have a glass of wine to decide what is better, the, the white or the red. At this point, we'll take it both, okay? Many of our Farmers Inside Track listeners might be curious about you. You're evidently very passionate about all things wine. What's your background? Were you born and raised in the wine valleys? I grew up in Stellenbosch, but my father was a banker, so I did not grow up on a farm, although someone on my mother's side, um, lots of my uncles are in farming. I initially thought I'll become an engineer, and then somehow I ended up with a uh, become uh, honours degree in um, agricultural economics. And then started a career in banking. So somehow uh, from studies uh, over the last those 20 years plus, I have been involved with agriculture in different facets and, and in the bank, be it on a specialist level or be it in advisory or credit level. I just think I've got a passion for agriculture and a passion to try and help people and, and try and at this stage mentor and, and give back as you as you get older. For wine, fruit, I think any agricultural product, I've got a very soft spot for that. So your previous life, you worked in commercial banking. That become honours degree and the previous work experience, has that helped you to transform Vinpro into what it is today? Because it certainly is a force to be reckoned with. I think it has. I often say things that frustrate you sometimes are also the things that you implement later. And, and, and the banking corporate sector is very structured very system-driven, very much performance-driven. And, um, and I must say, the things that you don't realize is what you, what you learn in banking are also the people aspects, the how to negotiate, how to deal with conflict management, how to lead a team. There were also things that I decided I will not implement once I lead a company. But yes, I, I think it's certainly in good stead to be able to have those learnings and be exposed to so many different aspects and facets. In effect, Vinpro represents about 2,500 South African wine grape producers, sellers, and wine-related businesses. How do you think Vinpro can help them to flourish post-COVID-19? Um, what's the sort of strategies you and your team are looking at? I'm sure they're desperate for guidance. Traditionally, Vinpro's strength was the technical teams and, and the information that we collated with other units. The thing that we implemented when I came on board is to really 
try and make it a services company for the whole value chain. So we've got a lot of advisory service on things like transformation or enterprise development. We've got a training unit. I would guess that part of what we're doing is not positioning the brand as such, but to be known as a one-stop shop that with one touch or one call could either help you or direct you somewhere. We've got a different role, Corvus, to play under these phenomenal circumstances, and that is to try and stabilize most certainly the next six months as we need to navigate and try and prevent casualties or, or losses. So one of the things that I'm doing tomorrow afternoon is to group all the financiers together at two o'clock and just to talk them through uh, the realities, what I think they can do and how we can help them and that we try and stabilize this chain. So I think our role is to try and coordinate. Um, our role is not necessarily to make all the decisions at the bottom. But I would say a liaison with government, coordination and proper communication is a good start. Just before this interview, I had a bit of a sneak preview of the new Yeah Baby Digital podcast with Renal Lawrence launching this weekend. And as an outsider to the wine industry, it was very reassuring to hear the sort of innovation happening. I heard some of our interviews with movers and shakers in this industry, especially when it comes to digital strategies, Rico. And I've also been actively following your Twitter feed. It looks like you're constantly Zooming it, you're constantly Teamsing, you're constantly um, having virtual wine drink cups. Yeah, you should ask my wife to comment on that because um, she might also have a different opinion <laughs> on that. <laughs> I've also, and my whole team, has to embrace the technology. And suddenly you do different technology Zooms and Teams and, and, and you get used to that. We've become, I think, far more effective and efficient. But it is also a great forum. I mean, just two examples. About a week ago, we had a late afternoon glass of wine, just talking COVID realities with the Stellenbosch wine route. There were about 45 people on the call. Two nights ago, there was an international platform where, where the likes of Ken Forrester and Hein Kuchlenberg and Mike Radcliffe participated to talk to the world, to talk to the international community about our real challenges and the way we see it forward. It's a team effort. A lot of my colleagues do it as well. But I, I think we need to keep everybody informed and not criticize government, but look at solutions and, and share innovation. And I must say that that's been the one biggest positive about this circumstances is that the crisis has meant that we've left our differences behind and people are really in support and are collaborating. This goes across the commercial, the labor, the NGO sector, where we embrace the crisis and the opportunities. And I think that's so exciting if we can continue that. Rico, at the risk of sounding jealous and also bearing in mind that I'm running pretty close to my final bottle at this point in time. Do you have any good wine left at least to drown some of your sorrows after another hard day in lockdown? I often say people assume that uh, I suppose because I'm in the wine industry that I will have ample supplies, but uh, but even I underestimated um, the COVID lockdown. <laughs> and you tend to, initially you tend to uh, keep the better wine for later, but I, I, I yeah. did expect that uh, level four would come a bit sooner. My children, who are both students, are also at home at the moment. And I must say, the three of us are consuming the stock faster than I thought. But yes, luckily, I still have a bottle or two, and um, I would uh, guard them as we go forward. 
It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you, Rico Basson, and rest assured that Team Food for Mzansi will be cheering for you, Vinpro, and the rest of the wine industry. Thank you for the opportunity. Rico Basson, the Managing Director of Vinpro. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Farmers Inside Track podcast. As always, proudly brought to you by foodformzanzi.co.za. Stay tuned to the website and, of course, our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram feeds. Hopefully, we can bring you some breaking news sometime tomorrow about the possible introduction of online wine sales as part of the Level 4 COVID-19 lockdown. From me, Quibus Lawrence. And from me, Ivor Price and the rest of the Food for Mzansi team. Stay safe, stay home and stay sane with Food for Mzansi. Wow, Mom, what did you put on this chicken? Well, I was trying a new recipe using grain-filled chickens. Oh, Mom, this is amazing. You can't go wrong with 100% South African farm-quality chicken. With a range of fresh, frozen and marinated products, make grain-filled chickens your number one choice. Grain-filled chickens from the farms of the Free State. Need we say more? If you want quality, ask for grain-filled chickens at a leading store. Grain-filled chickens, bring home the taste. Visit grainfieldchickens.co.za.